You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Our Father, Your Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So we ask that you might open our eyes, our minds and our hearts to receive it. That we might know what it means to be your people and understand what Jesus has done for us. Lord, I pray that no one here today will remain unchanged, but that you might transform each of us by your Spirit and through your Word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. I want to tell you about an experience I had uh, quite a number of years ago. I was uh, living in Sydney and attending uh, just a, a little Baptist church on the, on the North Shore in a place called Chatswood. And uh, we were at an even, a Sunday evening service and uh, one evening uh, a visitor came along, which happens and is great. And uh, this guy, he kind of stood in the back. And if I say he was a, he was a more enthusiastic worshipper, you kind of get a picture of uh, what he was like. Big hands all through the songs, a lot of amens during the, the message, and, and that's fine, that's okay. It wasn't quite what we were used to, but, you know, who cares really? And after after uh, the service, I went up and said hi. And, uh, you know, how are you going? Welcome to church. And we just got chatting. And at one point in the conversation, he leant over to me, and almost in a whisper, he said, hey, you know, um, you know, there's so much more than this. Uh, I, I said, I said, what do you mean? This, this, there's so much more. And he began to speak about spiritual power, about victorious living. That's the phrase he used, victorious living, about abundance and blessing and success and greatness. All the things that God wanted me to have. I just needed to receive them. And I can still remember looking around and thinking, yeah, I'm buying what you're selling. Because when I looked around, I've got to be honest with you, it was all a little pathetic. Our little small church, 60s red brick, our music team that was struggling away, no one was talking about us on the news was very small and very ordinary. And then I started thinking about the people who were attending. And I've got to be honest, they were a little pathetic too. There were no movers and shakers, no politicians or business tycoons, no celebrities or supermodels. In fact, to be honest, they were a bunch of strugglers. Some of them had failed marriages. Some of them had ongoing struggles with mental or uh, health illnesses. Some of them, some of them struggled to get pregnant. Some of them had had miscarriages. Some of them couldn't find jobs. They were a pretty pathetic lot. And then I started thinking about myself, and it didn't get any better because I don't know what your Christian life is like, but mine's often one of struggle and doubt and sin and disappointment and falling short of my own expectations. 
And I was supposed to be one of the leaders. Where was the victory? Where was the abundant blessing? Where was the spiritual power? Isn't there more to it than this? And I wonder whether you can relate in your Christian experience, whether your Christian life one of conquering and success and victory, or whether you feel like you've been living on Struggle Street and life is tough and most of the time you feel weak. And you wonder, is there any more than this? Well, friends, today we're going to hear from a man who is about as spiritual as they come. He'd met the risen Lord Jesus face to face. He performed and seen incredible miracles, revival. He was taken up to the third realm of heaven. This is literally the guy who had written half of the New Testament. His name is Paul, he is an apostle, and he's writing to a church that were asking the same questions that we are. Is there more than this? Is this the victorious life that Jesus had promised? Now, I don't know what you know about Paul, but ever since his conversion, when he became a Christian, his life had been tumultuous. He'd bounced from one crisis to another. He was now a convicted criminal. He'd been shipwrecked, stoned, tortured and beaten multiple times. Everyone that he trusted had abandoned him. And now this little church that he had planted and started in Corinth. Well, in Corinth, these other leaders had arisen in the church that said, you guys, you church, should abandon this guy, Paul, too, because he is a loser. He is pathetic. And no wonder he's pathetic. Have you heard his message? It's pathetic too. It's all about a criminal who was crucified. That's your king. That's your hero. You want to be like him? That's embarrassing. That's a joke. He is weak. He is a failure. You need to leave Paul and his weak ideas behind. We will show you what power ministry looks like, what it means to conquer, what the blessed life is. You'll see things that will blow your mind. There is so much more than this. And so Paul writes this letter to Corinthians, of which we're going to read a small part of, as a defence for his ministry. Not just the defence, but the reason why he does it like this and why he'll never give up on it. And I want to give you this afternoon three reasons why this life, as pathetic as it often seems, is the life of spiritual power and victory. My first reason, his weakness displays Christ. If you've got your Bibles there, I just want you to have a look with me. This is the first part of verse 7. This is 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. It says this, Now we have this treasure in clay jars. Now just stop for a moment. In my home, we've got a a china cabinet uh, where we kind of keep all the uh, precious things we've got. It's got glass, a kind of glass front and a mirror behind and it's designed to kind of show off special things. It's where we keep the heirlooms, the the teapots we got for our wedding, all of the kind of nice plates and china we have. In fact, you can tell how special you are when you come to my house, whether we get out the nice china or just kind of the other stuff. Now, I suspect you or your parents probably have something like that in your house, don't they? I'll tell you what we don't keep in our china cabinet. 
toilet paper, garbage bags or recycling. They go in random bins and buckets and cupboards. This treasure that verse 7 is talking about is the knowledge of the glory of God. And the clay jars are the people who carry this treasure in their hearts and on their lips. A clay jar is ordinary and unimpressive. Breakable and disposable. It is not for putting valuable things. Why would God put a treasure in a clay jar? I look at verse 7 again. Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. I used to, um, I used to kind of wish or think to myself, wouldn't it be great if like Taylor Swift became a Christian? Wouldn't that be great? Or, or, uh, everyone loves Tay Tay, uh, or LeBron James. Because then all of a sudden they'd be cool and everyone would want to become a Christian just like they want to wear LeBron's shoes. They're going to want to be a Christian too. But friends, God will not have it that way. He will not allow anyone to say, I follow Jesus because of the beauty of the jar. How How impressive it was. God will not allow the wrapping paper to detract from the treasure that it contains. His power comes from God. The weakness of the vessel displays God's power. And Paul knows it. See, if anyone has cause to feel like a clay jar, it's Paul. Read the description of himself in verses 8 to 12. This is what he says. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our bodies so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then death is at work in us, but life in you. So what's he saying? He's saying we've been taken to the brink, to the edge, but we're still here. We've been taken to the brink for you, Corinthians. It's for you that we're suffering. For you that we're driven to the precipice. For you we carry the death of Christ's body around in our bodies. Do you understand what that means? Paul doesn't just proclaim the gospel of Jesus who suffered, died and rose. He lives it. In his life, in his suffering, then glory. That's a call to follow Jesus, isn't it, friends? Take up your cross and follow me. Suffering, then glory. Death, then resurrection. Whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will gain it. Remember that. Do not follow Jesus to the bank or the Bahamas, but to the cross. I wonder whether you feel like a clay jar some of the time. Ordinary. Weak, broken and on the verge of falling apart. You might imagine to yourself that God has made a mistake when he put the treasure of the knowledge of the glory of his Son in you. 
But friend, on the contrary, you are exactly who God chooses and who God uses. Because the power of the gospel comes from God, not you. The weakness of the vessel serves to highlight the glory of the treasure. And it is that treasure that Paul is singularly captivated by. And if his weakness highlights the beauty of Jesus, then bring it on. Now I know that some of you uh, here are thinking, seriously thinking about Christian ministry in the future or Christian leadership in the church. And you might be imagining to yourself, uh, kind of you, at book signings or big conferences. Hundreds of people hanging on your every word. Uh, seeing your name written out, out the front of that beautiful sandstone building so your parents can drive past and say, look, that's where my son's the minister, that's where my daughter works. Friend, you are in for a rude shock. Did you hear Paul's description of his ministry? Afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, we always carry the death of Christ in our body. We are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that Jesus' life may be displayed in our mortal flesh. A servant is not above his master. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Uh, a couple of years ago, I came across uh, a, a very interesting article uh, by Forbes, whoever they are. It was the Forbes uh, 10 richest pastors in the world. And it was this list of uh, kind of private jets, McMansions, and interestingly, tax scandals. Uh, and one of the really interesting things I, I found reading through this list of the top ten richest pastors is half of them were American, but the other half of them were all Nigerian. One of the most impoverished nations in the world. See, friends, the mark of authentic Christian ministry is not the victorious life, it's the cross. One of my heroes, you may have already gathered, is a guy called Charles Spurgeon, British preacher. He wrote this to his students about depression. It is our duty and our privilege to exhaust our lives for Jesus. We are not to be living specimens of men in fine preservation, but living sacrifices whose loss is to be consumed. Church, don't you ever criticise your pastor for being a loser. But not because he isn't one. <laughs> but because God has ordained him to be one. That the power might come from him, God alone. Friends, don't despise the ordinary or the day of small things. It is here that God is manifest and the glory of God is at work. Paul might be criticised for his weak, unimpressive life, but he's not ashamed because it's his suffering where God's power is demonstrated. His suffering means many can hear and they can know. Death might be at work in him but it means life in those God is saving him. That's why he keeps going. 
Now, I might have talked some of you out of pursuing Christian ministry. Uh, or let me talk you back into it. This is the second reason Paul defends his ministry. My second point, Paul continues to speak for the sake of God's glory. Is there so much more than this? Well, friends, yes, there is. And it's still to come. Look at verses 13 to 15 with me. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe and also speak, for we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. I don't know if you've ever noticed this in the New Testament, how believing and speaking go together. And it kind of makes sense when you think about it, doesn't it? What you believe, it kind of erupts out of your mouth. You'll know those famous verses from Romans chapter 10. If you, believe, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Paul speaks because he believes, he believes that one day he will stand before Jesus and that the one who raised Jesus will raise him too. More than that, that he'll raise those Corinthians that he loves so much. He can't not speak of the God who raises the dead. How can you give up on that? His great hope is that they might stand with him at the resurrection. He speaks that more and more people might join him because the more people thanking God means more glory to God. Friends, if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, then the Bible promises that the same one who raised Christ from the dead will raise you too. The hope for the believer is resurrection. Friends, put your hand up if you've ever been resurrected and come, you know, come back from the dead. Anyone here? Did you know that one day you're on all answer, yes, I was. I was dead, decomposed, and my rotted, worm-eaten ears heard the voice of the Son of God. His Spirit came upon me, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. For it is this future, as certain as the coming of the dawn that drives Paul forward. It means he gives himself to the task. He accepts the weakness because he knows how it's all going to end in resurrection and glory. And his great hope is the Corinthians join him on that great day. It's this day Paul calls them to look to. If you could predict the future, what, what would you do? At least a few of you would go down and make some choice bets at the TAB, I suspect. Paul knows the future. He knows Jesus. He can't not give his present when it's so glorious, when the final page has already been written. How can he not be driven forward to it? And thirdly, Paul does not give up for the sake of the glory to come. Verses 16 to 18. Just have a look at this. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, 
Our inner person is being renewed day by day for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen but on what is unseen. What is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. I wonder, do you know someone who makes light of uh, people's problems? Uh, my mum does this. I'll, I'll be complaining, mum, something, this thing's going on, it's so hard, and she'll say something like, well, at least you don't live in Syria. I'll think, thanks mum, feeling much better now. <laughs> Does it seem like Paul is making light of people's problems? I mean, they seem pretty serious. The outer person is being destroyed, he says. The outer person, meaning his body and his mind, he feels himself breaking apart and yet he also sees himself being put back together. Christ is changing him, he's transforming him, he's preparing him for something. So much so that he calls his suffering momentary light affliction. What an extraordinary thing to say. Not because it's not serious, but compared to the glory to come, can't be even mentioned in the same sentence. Again, you see, his eyes are set on the future. How can he give up? I think we kind of understand this, don't we? You study hard, it's worth it when you pass the exam. That gruelling gym session, it's worth it when when you're completely ripped. That root canal, it's worth it when you get to keep your teeth. Paul will put up with the hardships of this life a thousand times over for the glorious future yet to be revealed. And if his suffering in the here and now means more glory in the age to come, that is a no-brainer. He takes the cross. Now I'm really certain that some of you here in this room suffer terribly. Constantly, daily, unseen and unknown. I would never call your suffering momentary life affliction. But one day, you will. And our experiences on earth are incomparable to the eternal weight of glory. What a phrase. Uh, my mother-in-law is one of those people who's really clever with money. She often tries to convince me to put money into superannuation. And I feel like superannuation is forever away. Like, who cares about superannuation? And I wonder if sometimes we feel that way about the age to come. Friends, it will come. Sooner than we realize. We will all stand before the throne of Jesus Christ. It is surer than the rising of the sun. My wife's grandpa was famous. Uh, he wasn't a Christian, but he was famous for saying, I don't need to go to heaven. I've already been there. It's called Tarawinji. It's a farm that he, he grew up on. Whenever he said that, I, I, I sort of think to myself, yeah, but it's gone. You got old, you had to retire, you had to move away. 
Because friends, that's the problem with the world in its present form, isn't it? It's passing away, it's becoming a memory, you, you can't grasp hold of it. There is a world unseen that is more real than this one. It is eternal. And Paul won't give up on it. He already feels it coming in his bones. Well, maybe you feel like there should be more than, than this. That it all feels pretty pathetic. That it all feels like a struggle every day. That you feel like a clay jar falling apart. Friends, you're not falling apart. God is putting you back together. The way of the cross is trial then vindication. Humility then honour. Affliction then glory. Death then resurrection. And these are the things that define Paul's ministry. In fact, these are the things that define all authentic Christian ministry. Look for the cross. Paul won't ever give up on that. It's like giving up on the future. And if you wonder whether your church is the real deal, don't judge it on how impressive it looks, on the bells and whistles, whether the pastor can pull off skinny jeans, or whether there's great and exciting displays of power during worship. Look for the cross. Look for the hidden things. The spirit at work in the hearts of God's people. Saints enduring under trial. Struggling for holiness, unity and love. It's there that the power of God is. And if you wonder whether your Christian life is a real deal, don't check your bank balance or your mental health record. Look for the cross in your life. And remember the victory was already won by now. It is the weakness that displays the glory of God. And it is our in our weakness that God works his mighty strength and he always has. And in the midst of the angst and disappointment and struggle, remember that these things that are seen are passing away. They last but for a moment. They give way to something true. Have a look. Father in heaven, give us eyes to see your glory. Fix our sight not on the things of this world that are passing away but on eternity and the age to come. An age where our sufferings and afflictions and struggles will be less than a distant memory. Help us endure. And we ask that in our weakness the power of God might be known.